Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. All right, we come your way on this evening, the 15th day of uh, June, right up until 7 o'clock, brought to you by Casamigos Tequila, as always, brought to you by those who drink it. We are on our way towards uh, Father's Day, on our way towards the summer solstice, as we finish up the last week of what will be the uh, strangest spring of anybody's life. We hope that we don't have any more springs that are strange, that are stranger than this one. Uh, it wouldn't be possible, I don't think, but, but yay. You never know. And we actually, today, before we get to all the nonsense, which means he said in baseball and they said in baseball and this happened and this player said this and none of it has anything to do with sports on the field, we actually have an event that we could talk about. There actually was something to come in and talk about that actually happened on the field. And it was on the links, but still, it was a live event. And you know what? It was fun. I hope you watched the golf. Even if you're not a golf fan, I hope you watched the golf. The golf was, you know what? You didn't have a Tiger Woods. You didn't have Phil Mickelson. You didn't have a Bubba Watson. You didn't have a uh, Rory McIlroy. But you know what? You had basically about 15 golfers all exchanging their positions on the leaderboard all with a shot here, there, and then we watched as it came down the stretch uh, and didn't miss not having any fans there. Still was golf, and golf obviously plays very well into this. And it worked very well from a TV standpoint. It was a very good event, and if you stayed with it, it was a wild finish. As Berger made a putt on 18 that a lot of guys couldn't make, Rose needed to make a putt to get into the playoff. He, he just cut it across the front of the uh, of the of the hole. Uh, DeChambeau, who has bulked up unbelievably, and now is just looks like a middle linebacker, uh, just left a very good putt attempt just outside the hole, and now he 
fell short of making the playoff. You already had you already had one golfer in the mix. You thought, and then he fell apart on seventeen. That was Shoffley, and the next thing you know, you wind up with a situation where Berger has to make a putt on seven on eighteen to get to fifteen under. He makes the putt, and Berger played very well. And then uh, Murakawa, who is going to be a star. Breed talked about him this past week. Talked about him as a guy that he thought had a good... A lot of people were picking Murakawa before this week. He was not, a, he was not an overwhelming uh, you know, long shot. Uh, a lot of people picked him. Breed liked him, too. He had a chance to win it. He had himself a five-and-a-half-foot putt. Very, very makeable. A little tinge uphill. Easy to go at it. Really was one that he just put in the back of the jar and go home. Misses it. And then, of course, you saw what happened on the first playoff hole. Uh, as they went and played 17, he, of course, had a after, – after Berger got within a about 18 inches of the hole and tapped in for his par, Mirakawa misses a about a three-footer, maybe even a little less. So he misses back-to-back putts to win the tournament and then to stay alive in the uh, playoff, and Berger winds up uh, a winner. Now, Berger's put together a tremendous run of uh, consistent golf lately. Morikawa is a absolutely a star in the making. What a beautiful player, confident, great iron player, young man, just 23 years old. He's got a world of talent, and there are so many good golfers out there right now that, you know what? You can you can really watch this golf without having those big names. And you didn't have the stars of stars there yesterday. You didn't even have Ricky Fowler up there. You didn't even have Rahmer up there. You didn't have Dustin Johnson there. You didn't have Rory McIlroy, who went out and shot 41 on the front nine yesterday in contention, shot 41 on the front nine yesterday. You had a bunch of different guys. You had Woodland in the mix. You had DeChambeau. You had Justin Rose. You had Spieth for a while until he actually cooled off the last two holes on Saturday and then never really got it going yesterday. Fell out of contention. But there are newcomers. Berger's been playing great golf. He's only 27. Murakawa is an absolute star in the making at 23 years of age. And I thought it was a, a terrific event. Wonderful, uh, exciting event, really good golf, a lot of movement, a lot of player movement, a lot of guys having chances to make shots, guys making putts. How about the save? How about the bogey save that Shoffley made after putting it in the water? I mean, how unbelievable was that? He makes a 40-footer for bogey, and then on the next hole makes a 26-footer for par, and then on the next hole he misses a two-footer. Just shows you how crazy golf is. He makes a 40-footer, turns around, drops a 26-footer, and then can't drop a two-footer. Morikawa dropped a 50-footer on 15. And then couldn't make a putt on 18 or the first playoff hole. But I tell you, it was really good. This week, it's the RBC Heritage. They're going to get some fans out there when they get the Jacks tournament. They're probably not going to get Tiger till they get the Jacks tournament. There's big tournaments. There's majors still to come. And golf is going to be 
there for us week after week. And you know what? It's going to do really well. It's doing really well as a sport right now. People are watching it. People are playing it. If you go out, if you go to a golf course, you know it is packed. I don't care if you belong to a private course or you play on a public track. You know that the golf courses are absolutely jammed with people now. More so than you've ever seen before. Why? A couple of reasons. Number one, you get outside and you can play. You can self-distance and play. Number two, a lot of times you might have stuff you have to do. Drive the kids to a game. Or maybe the kids have a practice or a game. Kids don't have any games right now. Kids don't have any practices right now. There's not a lot going on, so everybody's going out and playing golf. And you know what? Good for golf. And golf did a very good job. I thought, you know, they kept, they had Nance at the event. They had uh, the analysts in Orlando. They had people separated in different remotes. They had their, uh, their trucks in different places. I thought they did a very good job. I thought they handled it. Uh, they set up the interview thing well. I thought it went really well. It was a very good event all the way through, and it was a very exciting Sunday. They go to uh, Hilton Head this week. The RBC Heritage and another good field. No Tiger, no Phil, but you know what? You got Kepka, you got Rama, you got DJ, you got Shambawa, you got Shoffley, you got Morikawa, you got uh, Berger last week's winner, you got Reed, you got uh, Answer, you got Wolf, you have Thomas. Uh, so you got plenty of guys there. Webb Simpson, you got plenty of guys there. This week, Callie's playing too, so very good week coming up. We'll get into that again later in the week. Now, before we break, then we'll get to some calls. Baseball. Manfred backed off. Why did he back off? Because the owners told him to back off. When he said it was, they were definitely going to have a season, they don't want him to think that right now. They want it to be left that maybe there won't be a season. That's what they want the message to be right now. Remember this. Never, never lose sight that Manfred is the owner's employee. That's it. Commission is there's no more Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Ever since the unions became powerful in sports, the commissioner's role changed from being the caretaker and, and the guy who – settled disputes in the sport, and legislated the sport to a guy who is there to work as the leader of the management team. That is his job. His first job is to, is to deal with the union. His main job description is twofold. One, keep the union at bay. Number two, and this one I should reverse him, produce revenues, grow the pie, and then keep the union at bay. That is his job. The other things are ceremonial in, at best. And now he has backed off that. The owner's message is ridiculous. But there's no heroes here. Don't make the players heroes here. There are no heroes here. What you have is just an enormous amount of contempt, of greed, and insincerity and selfishness. That's all. The players couldn't be more greedy or more selfish. The owners couldn't be more greedy or more insincere. And they have incredible contempt for each other. And they are setting up for a battle that will start now and probably will go through the next two years before they wind up with no collective bargaining agreement and wind up in a strike uh, or, or a job action, whatever it might be at the time, a lockout or a strike or whatever we wind up with. But the bottom line is there is utter contempt right now. They are nowhere in this. Yes. 
baseball, the owners can implement a season. They can do that. Then the players will file their grievance. They'll try and beat them in court for a lot of money while they play. But remember, that means no extra playoff games because they're not going to give them to them. That means no extra stuff and whatever is peripheral. Now, the other part of this that makes it a lot tougher, when you think, oh, the commission just implements it, says, go out, we're playing 48 games, go play. It doesn't work that way because they still have to deal with the players on safety issues. And once they implement and there's complete anger and animosity between the two sides, even implementing the safety conditions are going to be so hard that this is going to be torture. And there are a bunch of owners who don't want any part of this. There are owners who are upset with the players' take, and there are owners who know they're going to do nothing but lose money in the regular season, and they don't have an appetite for it. The big markets, they always want to play. The Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Red Sox, they always want to play. But the guys who are in the middle, they don't want to play. A lot of them don't want to play. More than you think don't want to play. So when you hear Manfred telling you that every owner is dying to play, they're 100% ready to play, he's lying through his teeth. He's just trying to send a message. That's all he's trying to get them to the table. But the bottom line is the owners made some steps here that I'm telling you, legally, the owners are screwed if this thing goes to court because they made some big mistakes. And I think the players are going to win if they go. To, if, they, if this stays and they impose and they file a grievance, the players are going to win. But who cares? I don't care if the players win because nobody wins. They both have already lost. They've embarrassed themselves during this climate where they needed baseball to step up and be genuine and these players to be have some care about what was going on in this country, have some care for the fans, care about what, how they could help move things along at a time where we have so many issues in this country right now. Instead, what are they doing? They went, moved into the middle of a crisis, into a middle of a national crisis, and said, hey, we're here, and then they got into a fist fight in the middle of the room. That's exactly what they did. Instead of helping either side, what they did is they showed up at the crisis and got into a fight and embarrassed themselves. So are we going to have baseball? They can't impose it, so I think possibly I still think yes more than no, but there's a lot of things that have to be worked out. And look, what you're finding out is getting these teams back is very hard. Look what happened with the Cowboys and the Texans already having players test positive. University of Houston having multiple players test positive. Ohio State having players test positive. The Bruins having players test positive. This is a huge negative for getting anything back on the field. And I can tell you from golf this past week, nobody tested positive who played. Nobody. So they got through the first week and nobody tested positive. While you've had all these other performances where these guys are just trying to work out and they can't even uh, keep healthy. Ezekiel Elliott going down is a big deal. Anytime a star goes down, it's a big deal. Now, he's, not, he's fine, but the bottom line is players getting sick is a big issue. Now, the secondary issue is this whole thing with the Yankees and the letter and the Yankees and the whole thing. Bad take from the Astros. It shows you how insincere they are about being sorry about anything. Because first thing they did was make sure they go after the Yankees. Listen, if the Yankees did anything here, they look like complete frauds. Because they acted like they were wronged 
to the, you know, umpteenth degree and how they should lose and they should get the title taken away and we're holier than now. And if they wind up that they did something, I don't care how minuscule it is, they're going to look like frauds because they were sanctimonious about the whole thing. And if there's anything in there, and I don't know what's in there, but if there's anything in there that makes it look like the Yankees were doing anything themselves, they really, really got caught. Because they really cried wolf. And if they did something, they're going to look really like total frauds. And talking about frauds, that's why I can't watch Sosa and Maguire. Listen, there are no heroes during the steroid era. And that goes for Bonds, that goes for A-Rod, that goes for Manny Ramirez, that goes for Clements, that goes for, go down the list. But were there two bigger frauds anywhere? And could baseball have been more just turn its back and not pay attention and more insincere about anything than they were during that baseball chase trying to figure out what was going on when they could care less what was going on? But is there any event that puts baseball in a worse light than that? Yes, it was popular. Yes, it got people back to the ballpark. But here were two guys who were the biggest frauds in history, the two of them. I remember both their performances in front of Congress. That summed up everything. Completely summed up everything. Go back and look at it if you need to. So I can't, I can't watch those guys. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm not making it a steroid issue. I just can't glorify those guys after everything that went on. And you know what? They didn't get beat up the way other guys did. And we know there's a million guys who lied. And they rise right at the top of the list, which we all know. But the bottom line is nobody acted more like they were, you know, cleaner than the driven snow than, than Sosa and Maguire. So that, thing, that whole thing was a farce. And the other thing out of all this thing is Beltran. What is Beltran? Is he now the Al Capone of baseball? I mean, every time there's an issue now, it was master man. Here was Beltran, who was the quietest player, whoever came down the pike. I mean, I don't think Beltran made a sound the whole time he played in the major leagues. Now all of a sudden, he's Al Capone. Every time there's an issue, oh, Beltran was, oh, Beltran, this is Beltran. This, hey, they went, God, Beltran, he's the mastermind, he's the mastermind. Beltran, it happened, Beltran did it. You know what happened? It doesn't matter, Beltran was there. Beltran then went there for two days, and all of a sudden, they didn't know how to cheat. He went there, and they, everything's about Beltran. All of a sudden, he's Al Capone. I mean, can we find someone else outside of baseball? Can we find anybody else in baseball to blame except Beltran? I mean, everything's about him. But you know what? I don't want to hear that, you know, hey, the Yankees are blocking this letter, but they have nothing to hide. Hey, if they have nothing to hide, why are they blocking the letter? I mean, come on, you don't block the letter. The, blocking the letter is the worst thing the Yankees can do. It makes it a hundred times worse because now everybody can't wait to see what's in it. They just should have let the letter come out. People might have ignored it. And maybe there's not that much in there, but they went to try to block it to keep it from getting rid. And you know what? That made it look a hundred times worse. Now everybody that's all they care about is wanting to find out and go over, examine every word. Baseball on every level is a total mess. I mean, we have a lot of messes right now. We have a lot of things that are just messed up in this country. But baseball is right there in the middle of it at the top of the list. Back after this. 
All right, we're back on this uh, Monday evening. We'll get the calls in in a minute. Uh, Christian Hackenberg, who was a complete bust and really was about as bad a looking quarterback as we've ever seen. What a complete waste of a draft pick. And now he wants to be a baseball player at 25. All right. Now, people are comparing to Tebow. Here's the one thing. Tebow never had a chance. This guy, my understanding, has a 93 to 95-mile-an-hour arm. Now, I don't know. They say he's wilder than he is as a football uh, thrower. You know, he's, he's wilder throwing a baseball than he is even throwing the football, uh, which is pretty bad because he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with the football. Now, uh, I watched him practice one day where I was watching uh, – Getting ready to do the show, I watched all four quarterbacks throw. His throws were so bad, they were one of the worst I've ever seen in a pro quarterback drill. That's how bad they were. Um, but he's six foot four, 230 pounds. He's 25 years old. Hey, one thing if he can throw the ball past people and they can somehow get him to throw the ball over the plate, who knows? He's not trying to hit, which is really hard to do. He's a pitcher, and he's a big man, so who knows? Maybe he could throw the ball by people. You know, I'll never say never to that. Maybe he becomes a relief pitcher or something. Who knows? You know, I, I doubt it because they say he's really wild in baseball, but, hey, who knows? You know, he says, I want to go out and compete. We know one thing. He did the right thing giving up uh, football because he was never going anywhere. He was about as bad a looking uh, quarterback prospect as we've ever seen. Um, Bettman said as far as hockey, and boy, we've heard nothing out of hockey, no complaints from the players. I mean, the players never complain. But uh, that's one thing. The players in hockey just amazing. They never complain. Uh, he said the NFL, NH, the NHL playoffs won't be too gimmicky. Hey, these are the Stanley Cups. I hope they wouldn't be too gimmicky. You didn't have to do anything to them. Just go out there and play. They're the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, you know, that's as good as it gets. When you talk about intensity, you talk about excitement, nothing Nothing is more exciting than the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, you know me. I don't watch regular season hockey. But I'll tell you something. I love playoff hockey because it's exciting as heck. It really is. It's exciting in person. It's exciting on TV. It really is. It's, it's, the, 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 the players put on a great, great show in hockey. They really do. So, uh, you know, you don't want it to be too gimmicky. So hopefully it won't be. Um, you got all the, all the you know all the commissioners going to talk on ESPN. So if you want to watch that, although uh, you know you pretty much have heard a lot from them all recently, so I don't know what new they're going to tell you. To be honest with you, all right, let me get the uh, switch hitters in on this fifteenth. For Bernie, we go to six fifteen, six fifteen ninety three. So this is early. This is before the Yankees. Get good. They hadn't even gotten good yet. Now, they had a winning record here. They beat the Red Sox 9-7. Remember, 94, the strike year, they wind up with the second-best record in baseball behind Montreal. They don't finish the season. They come back in 95, make the playoffs. The rest is history. 96, they win it, and away they go, and they build their uh, most recent dynasty. But 93, they were still a different team, as you can see, as Bernie went 4-5, for knocked in two runs, Hit a home run. He, at this point, had four homers and uh, 20 RBI. I mean, he had uh, five homers and 28 RBIs. But look at the lineup. Bernie batting first in center field. Spike Owen batting second at shortstop. Leyritz at first base batting third. He was in for Mattingly. Mattingly came in later in the game. Tartable was the DH. Danny Tartable. Mike Stanley, who people loved when he left. They were furious. They booed Joe Girardi, if you remember. Uh, Paul O'Neill. And 
uh, you know, was starting to make name for himself and become what he became for the Yankees, which was a great player. Um, and I remember how many fans hated the trade when he got traded for Roberto Kelly. Uh, Dave Silvestri was a third. Bam Bam Mullins was in left field. And Pat Kelly was at second base. So that was the Yankee lineup. How about that in 93? Just to give you a different look before they really started back. The Yankees with Mickey was 615-52. So this is early. This is Mickey's first year in center field because DiMaggio has just retired. So this is Mickey's real first full season. He came back and forth and you know went down, came back, and got hurt in, uh, in his first year, 51-52. He is in center field. At this time, he's batting second. He went one for five. He had a three-run homer. It was his fourth homer of the season. Hit it off Bob Lemon in the second inning with two on. He was batting 308 with a 370 on base percentage. Here was the Yankee lineup in 52. Rizzuto at short. Mantle in center. Hank Bauer, who was a really good player in right field. Yogi, who was a great player at catcher. Gil McDougal, who was a very good player at uh, third base. Gene Woodling in left. Joe Collins at first. A guy named Billy Martin at second base. And Eddie Lopat on the mound for the Yankees in on 6-15-19. 52. All right, let me get some calls in. Nick and Old Bridge, what's up, Nick? Hi. Yes, Nick. Hi, how you doing? Good, what's happening? Uh, I, I, I didn't hear what you said, but it sounds like something stupid, so, uh, uh, you know, we'll let you go, because I, 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 don't, I don't know what you said, but it didn't sound good, but forget about it. Dylan is suffering. What's up? Um, I got two questions for you. Just so, go ahead. Um, if like if there's no MLB season this year, how does that affect the team like the Yankees? Considering we could possibly go two straight years without a season because they could strike next year too. Well, it's not just the Yankees going to strike. I mean, everybody else is going to strike oh, too. Oh yeah, no. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, so everybody's in the same boat. Um, there'll be no. It's not a strike this year. No, nobody nobody is striking. Well, we don't know what will happen. And it, it won't happen next year. It's going to happen the year after. Okay. Uh, but next year is going to be a very tense one because what's going to happen this year is if they play. And I don't, uh, you know, I still think they will impose something uh, on, on the players. And the players want them to do that so they can file the grievance against them. And that's going to keep the playoffs like it is, which is what the owners don't want. The owners don't want that. Uh, but a lot of owners don't want to play, which is why you have a divided house right now. Uh, so, uh, listen, baseball's in a mess right now. It really is economically. It's in a very tough place. We told you it was going to be a very tough negotiation. We all, everybody knew it was going to be a tough negotiation, and it has been even worse than we thought it would be. What's the second thing? The second question is, why do you waste your time with Richard in Manhattan? Like, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but like, I don't understand the players. I don't know the players that he brings. Well, up. Yeah, listen, you know what? You got to take guys from all ages. You know, it, 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 you're how old? How old are you? Well, yeah, he's a young kid. You can tell, and I agree. Richard goes too far back too often. I agree with you, but the the guys he brings up are very legitimate players. They're just from a different era. That's all. He likes to go back and talk about old time baseball. That's all. Does he do it too much? Yeah, but that's okay. You know what? To each his own. Everybody can can you know do something a little different. Chris and Far Rockaway, what's up, Chris? 
Mike, let me ask you a question. Don't you think mm-hmm. a sport like tennis would be able to um, start up in this atmosphere? Yeah, I do. Because of the nature? I do, but I think sport? the problem with, with tennis right now is there, there's very little American presence on the male side. On the female side, I mean, to me, I've never been a big tennis guy to begin with, but tennis has has waned in popularity. To, now, that for the tennis fan, God bless them. I mean, uh, the U.S. Open, I think, is going to be played. Um, I don't think there'll be any fans there, but uh, I think they'll probably have to, you know, go the same route. But can they play tennis? Absolutely. I don't see any reason why they can't play tennis. I, I, I would think they could for sure. So I agree yeah. with you. I think, I, and thanks for the call. I do think they'll play tennis. Um, but I think right now, golf's got a much better hold on the fan week to week than tennis does. I think it's got a better audience. It's got a better built-in audience uh, than tennis does. Tennis is in a lean time right now. Tennis needs some. You know, what tennis needs is it needs some McEnroes and some Connors. It needs some stars and some Agassiz. It needs it needs some you know some some stars that the fans can get behind. Doesn't mean there's not great players. There are, but the, the people have to care about them. Chris and Ocean, what's up, Chris? Hey, Mike. I wanted to ask you, um, how is it? I feel like we're in the middle of a wide-open CBA negotiation, and there already is an agreement that does not contain a pandemic clause. So isn't it just open to owners to decide when to open the doors, and they play under the agreement that we have? Well, there's not an agreement because, remember, part of that is the owners don't want to get leveled in court with a grievance here. That and they they want to get an agreement. First of all, they want to extend the postseason. That's very important to them. And they cannot extend the postseason where they need. They That's desperately want to. They they can't they can't do that without the players' agreement. So, so the players have to agree to that negotiation. Then? Well, we're but not, you see, we're not in an open CBA. But the, well, listen, but they're trying to salvage a season here. There is a climate with television that wants to give them more money for the postseason and to extend the postseason, but they can't extend the postseason unless the players agree. And you're going to find that there's a lot of things that the players are going to have to agree upon that are going to be missing from it too, but they can impose it. But remember, they sent a letter. Now, the letter, I'm not a lawyer, but the letter I see basically does not help the owners it hurts them because it sounds like what they what the what they agreed to was to let the players be paid in full after april and may and they say no it was understood well the players don't think it was understood and if it wasn't in writing then it wasn't understood so and there was two letters there wasn't one so the, uh, i think the i think the grievance is going to really hurt the owners. And I think both sides will file agreements. But I think, remember, remember, the players have killed the owners in court. Absolutely killed them. And I think the owners are very leery of going to court because they could lose a lot of money in court. They could lose a ton like of money. It fast forwarded a year and a half to when the agreement ends. It feels like that's where we are now. Well, we're not there. What, what, but, but why wouldn't the owners have taken the last agreement the players made? It was a pretty fair – it wasn't everything, but it was a pretty fair step in the right direction. And the owners, they didn't want it because you know why? The owners are never – here's the one problem. And I'm not – listen, I am usually on the player's side, but I'm not anti-owner. I'm not pro-player. What I'm telling you is here's the one difference. Players 
are more unified than the owners are because the owners have the haves and the have-nots, and the have-nots don't want to play. And the have-nots only want to play if there's something to play for and a way for them to make some money. And the other guys always want to play. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Dodgers, they always want to play. The other guys are like, wait a second, I'm not playing if I'm losing money every day. But they need them all to play. And that's where they run into an obstacle there that they there's always a division with the owners. And to me, they can impose a season. And I think they might wind up doing that. But they also could wind up losing in court on that grievance, and that could wind up not only, not only costing them a lot of money, it could also sway, make a very big dent in the next collective bargaining agreement, and that's something that the owners fear dramatically. A loss in court. The owners, the owners want no season and yes playoffs. Well, they, they can't. Yeah, that's obvious. Yeah, and thanks for the call. The owners want to play few games and a lot of playoff games. That's where they make their money. The players want more games, and they'll give the owners the playoff games. But they want to play the games because that's where they get paid. They get paid per game. The owners don't want a lot of games. They want a lot of playoff games. They want 16 teams in the playoffs if they can help it. And they're not going to get it the way they're going right now. And they're going to be. There's a bunch of other things they might not get. Plus, they don't want to set the groundwork where the players get a huge victory in court on their way to negotiating the next collective bargaining agreement. That could hurt them dramatically. They don't want that. Back after this. You know the NBA. Uh, you've heard the last couple of days uh, a group of the players speak out. Uh, one about the bubble and what's going on with the whole bubble concept, but also with this idea that maybe they shouldn't play and they should spend the time on social issues and speaking out. And that's a better way to, you know, be heard and a better way to spend their time. I don't understand the premise. Why would star players or prominent players not use the, bully pulpit, not use the stage that they have earned with their play to speak out as players did back in the 60s. I mean, you had prominent players who spoke out and spoke out as a group. I remember I remember when they spoke out about Ali. I mean, whether you had Russell there, you had uh, Jabbar, Jim Brown, uh, you know, when you had guys speak out at, and there were, I can't remember who else was at the table. They had a whole table of guys. I think it was in Louisville. I believe it might have been somewhere else. I think it was in Louisville. But I remember the scene uh, of them speaking out. I mean, you play. You go do your job. You go do what you do. And then you're still going to have plenty of time to be able to speak out. I, I don't know why you would stop playing to speak out. I don't know why you would feel like you had to stop playing to speak out or why you would think that it would be a wise choice to do it. I think you got a better chance of being heard and a better chance of having an impact if you do it after you play. Now, what is this uh, statement? Oh, this is, uh, this is from Tony Clark. This is a statement that they just sent out, okay? I'll read it to you. Players, this is from Tony Clark, who is obviously, as you know, the executive director of the MLBPA. Uh, Players are disgusted that after Rob Manfred uh, unequivocally 
told players and fans that there would 100% be a season, which he did do in 2020, he has decided to go back on his word and now threatened to cancel the entire season, which he evidently did in this show they have taped for this evening on ESPN. Um, He continues, any litigation that the Players Association has... uh, any litigation that the Players Association has somehow delayed progress on health and safety protocols uh, is completely false, okay? So any, oh, oh, no, excuse me, not any, it's very small, I can't read the type. Any, indi- any implication that the Players Association has somehow delayed progress on health and safety protocols is completely false. As Rob recently acknowledged, the uh, parties are very, very close in that regard. Okay? Uh, the latest threat is just one more indication that Major League Baseball has been negotiating in bad faith since the beginning. This has always been about extracting additional pay cuts from the players. And this is just another day and just another bad faith tactic in their ongoing campaign. So that is the uh, statement. It was a reprint of a Twitter statement. That's why I was having trouble reading it. Um, But that from Tony Clark. So basically, Manfred left himself open for this. And listen, you're sitting there saying, what the heck is Manfred doing? How can he be so inept? He's not inept, folks. He, listen... I know Manfred. I've talked to him. He's a smart man. I've argued with him. I've argued with him at on podiums, uh, you know, at events where we did a symposium together, and I argued with him that at a symposium one night. Uh, he's he he knows what he's he's a bright man. But what's happening is the owners are giving him his marching orders. They tell him. Go out there and tell everybody that we're definitely playing. So he goes out there and he tells everybody that we're definitely playing. Then they tell him, go out there and tell everyone we might not play at all. And he's probably like, hey, I can't do that. I already went out and told them that we're definitely playing. That's what you told me to say last week. No, go out there and now tell them we're not playing. So he's got to go out there as the stooge for the owners, which is what he is. He's their mouthpiece. He's their front man. He's got to go out there. And what he has to be is a strong enough commissioner to say to these owners, hey, I'm not going out there and doing that. I'm not going to go out. I have no credibility if I go out there and say one thing to the nation and then you make me go out there five days later and say something completely else and I'm going to eat it. And he ate it. He's eaten it all day and he's now eating it from the Players Association. And this is because the owners are divided. Because the guys who look at it and say, I can't make any money this way. I don't. See, remember, baseball is a tiered sport. It is the haves and the have-nots. They make, they split completely their network money. But, and they each make their gate receipts, which neither of them are getting this year. But then comes the other money, which means what they make from their local radio deals. Some make a lot. Some make a little. Some make very little. And then the TV deals. Some make a tremendous amount of money. 
Some make very little. And that is the money that separates the Yankees from the Twins, from the Mariners, from the uh, Marlins, from the Rays. And that's where you have the haves and the have-nots, the big markets and the small markets. And the small market guy says, wait a second, I don't have a lot of money coming in. If I don't have the money If I don't have the money from concessions and from beer sales and from parking and from people sitting in the seats, I don't make enough money from cable television or from radio or from any local money or any local signage. I don't make enough money. I'm going to lose a fortune. I'm going to lose $200,000 a week. I'm not doing it. And that's what he tries to heal. The players can be in lockstep. Even the... Rich players and the new players, the young players and the new players, because the young players believe that someday they'll be in the position of the big players and the older players making the big money. So they'll be in your lockstep. The owners, though, this is where they divide on these issues. This is where the haves and have-nots don't stay together, and Manfred has to represent all of them, and that's why one day, and people kill Manfred now saying, what a fool, he goes out and he says this, then he goes out and says that. He's being made to go out there and say this and then go out there and say that. He's taking a big hit, but his owners are doing him a terrible disservice because they're killing his credibility to the country, to the fans, to the media, to the players. And you can't have your frontman, which is what he is, look like a fool. And that's what they did. And that's because they're divided and their house isn't in order. And now they made their commissioner and he works for them. They made him look bad, and they weakened his position dramatically. Right now, the players know they have the owners on the run. Now, it doesn't mean the owners will cave. They may not. But right now, in what's happened in the last 24 hours, the players have the owners on the run. If there's ever going to get something where the players, the owners will give a little, it's right now or it's never. And I'm not saying that there's enough of them there that will do it. But if there's ever going to be a movement, it's going to be now because this Manfred thing just weakened their position dramatically. JJ's coming up next. Casamigas Tequila, as always, uh, brings you our program from 6 to 7. Thanks for their patronage. Brought to you by those who drink it. We'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy your evening. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.